Everyone grab a seat. I think everyone's been signed in by now. We are today continuing on our series that we were launching. Uh, we launched just before Easter, but it's carrying on now, looking at five different biblical metaphors of the cross. What it is the cross is doing, what we're doing is we're, 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 we're looking at the jewel of the cross and we're turning it over slowly and having a look at all the different beautiful angles that it has to reveal its beauty to us. Uh, so in the first week, we looked at this idea of exile, this idea of exile that Jesus was cast out so that we could be brought in. Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that we might be brought in to the family of God, that we might have a home. And then on Good Friday, Matt brought to us this idea of temple, the, the, the sacrifice of Jesus he, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who washes us free of every stain of sin. And then on Easter Sunday, we looked at the next image that Jesus, he won a victory for us. It's the military, kind of like the battlefield image that he conquered on the cross. He was destroying the power of death over us. Is conquering in our place for us. And now today we turn to the biblical metaphor of ransom. Of ransom. That, and when, when I say ransom, I don't, I don't mean like paying a kidnapper for a kidnappee. Um, what the, the, the biblical kind of metaphor it's drawing on is rather the purchase price of a slave go to the slave market and you can free a slave by, by buying, buying their freedom on their behalf or ransoming that person, okay? So that's, that's the biblical metaphor that we're drawing on. But this language actually comes up in the scriptures quite often. We find it on the, word, on the lips of Jesus, both in Matthew and Mark, but here's, the, here's Matthew. He says, so Jesus speaking, he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom many. So Jesus, he paid the price to purchase us, to purchase us. Do you see that? To purchase us out of slavery to Satan's sin and death. Now in, in pop culture in the last, I don't know how long ago, maybe 80 years, um, there's been one kind of powerful image of this idea of ransom uh, that has been floating around from C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So this is the image uh, that you might remember, that the climax of the whole story in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe comes when Aslan gives himself as a ransom to free Edmund. If you remember the story, it's a life for a life. Aslan takes Edmund's place in order to buy Edmund back from the White Witch. And um, let's be honest, Edmund was there by his own stupidity. He had, he had made that decision and he had aligned himself with evil and, and it, was a, it was the wrong decision, but Aslan... He, Aslan struck a bargain with the White Witch in order to free Esmond, Edmund. If you haven't drawn the dots there, by the way, uh, I hate to break that to you, but yes, this is a, a, an allegory of the Christian story. Aslan represents Jesus, and the White Witch represents Satan in the story, and it's a, it's, a, it's a clear analogy of this idea of ransom. There is, however, a massive problem with the way C.S. Lewis does this, Okay. Um, there is, like, it's, it's not a, the best metaphor, um, the way C.S. Lewis does it in the book, which, it, yeah, the problem kind of breaks the whole story. Because in the story of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, who is Aslan 
paying this ransom price to? The answer is in the story, it's the witch, right? The witch demands payment and Aslan offers the payment of his life. There is a negotiation and there is a bargain struck, a life for a life. Now, of course, in doing so, as the story goes on, we, we, we find out that that bargain was really her undoing because Aslan knew of a, a deeper magic, right? That he would not stay dead, but he would be risen again. And he would eventually end in victory, right? But um, this, this idea isn't what the Bible is saying. We, we never see that idea in, in the scriptures. And so C.S. Lewis has kind of gone, gone and made that part up. Jesus is not paying Satan in his death. That's not what's happening. The, Jesus isn't paying a ransom to Satan as if Satan can demand anything from God. Um, and so this is where the scholars kind of go, yeah, this language of ransoms everywhere in the Bible, but the analogy kind of breaks down at some point because clearly Jesus isn't paying Satan for this. This is the way John Piper says it, which I appreciate his clarity. He says, no way is the death of Christ a negotiation with Satan or a payment to Satan. When Christ meets demonic forces in his ministry, they don't say, did you bring the money? He commands them and they go. There's no negotiations. When Paul describes what happened to Satan on the cross in Colossians 2.15, he says that Jesus disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. This is not a defeat. I mean, this is total defeat for Satan, not a negotiation. Okay, so this idea that Satan receives the payment is just not in the Bible, but that's what C.S. Lewis does. So when we talk about ransom, sometimes we have in the, in the back of our brain this kind of C.S. Lewisism kind of idea of ransom. And so I just need to get that out of the way up front and say, no, that's not what the Bible's teaching. It's not what we're saying today. However, so that, that aside, however, there is clearly a price. There is clearly a ransom price. Let me take you to a few places. This is just a couple of places we see this language in the New Testament. We've already seen Matthew 20, 28 there, that the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. We see this also in 1 Timothy 2, which says, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time. We see this idea of price in 1 Corinthians 6, 22, where Paul says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. You don't own yourself anymore. Jesus has bought you, purchased you. 1 Peter 1, 18, 19, I think this is beautiful and clear. It says, you were ransomed. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And finally, do I have Revelation up there? I do. Revelation 5, 9. We sing this, he is worthy song at, at this church. And this is, this is one of the lines in that song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain. And by your blood, you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Friends, this, this, this metaphor, Jesus purchased us with his blood, purchased us out of slavery so that we might be free and be with him. 
So let's, let's pray again for our time here before we move into our primary text today. Heavenly Father, we, we ask as we open up your word today to the book of Hosea, Lord, that your word would ring in our ears, cut through our defenses, bring us to our knees in repentance and worship. That you would fill our hearts, remind us again of your great love for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I just said, we are going to be in the book of Hosea this week, Hosea 1 to 3. Um, that's a photo from, no. um, someone drew that. We don't know what he looked like. He might look like that. Hosea is the first of the 12 minor prophets, the book of the 12. In Jesus' Bible, it was just one book, right? 12 prophets. Uh, Hosea is the first one and by far the biggest one of the 12. Um, and Hosea actually gets quoted a ton in the New Testament. So it's actually a book that is has quite a lot of significance for our faith, our Christian faith. It's somewhere, if you're, if you're looking for it, it's somewhere around the middle of your Bible. If you just crack it open to the middle, it'll be near there somewhere. Uh, Hosea was a prophet, and he lived at a time of, kind of on the back of a, of, of a time of great prosperity, expansion of the kingdom, material wealth in the northern kingdom, but also at a time of great godlessness. The nation had turned its back on the Lord. And the nation was heading headfirst towards disaster. There was a destruction coming. Uh, he lived about 30 years before the final destruction of the northern kingdom. So if you know the history of the Old Testament, the kingdom of Israel splits in two. There's a civil war after Solomon, Solomon's son. Um, kingdom fractures. You've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom called Judah. This book is written to the northern kingdom, which falls to the Assyrian Empire in 722. And so Hosea is speaking just before that to this generation that is turned its back on God and is facing judgment. And so God gave Hosea a message. Hosea is the last prophet in the, in, before the nation falls. They call him the, um, I can't remember the name. He's got a funny name about like he's, he, he's the deathbed prophet. He's there at the deathbed. It's like it's too late for them. It's like destruction's coming, and yet he's at the deathbed proclaiming judgment to the nation of Israel. Um, God gave Hosea a message, except the way the Lord would work with his prophets often is that instead of just giving them words to say, he would give them things to do, a drama to act out in front of the people. For example, with Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah's message to the people was that their sin had made them shameful and naked. Instead, but instead of saying that to the people, the Lord told them to preach naked as a, as, a, as a prophecy of their own nakedness. At our church, our dress code is pretty loose, but as a baseline, yes, clothes are necessary. Just as a baseline, we are pro-clothes. Is that coming from me, Dave? Do you know? Don't know? We'll see how we go. If it's annoying, we can have switch out. Sounds like it is me, isn't it? Is everything else muted? Okay, I might switch to the handheld, guys. All right, okay. What was I saying? We're pro-clothes, that's what I was saying, all right. Okay, we've all got that, we're all agreed? Okay, let's keep going. Let us see Hosea's task then. 
Hosea's task. We're going to go to chapter 1. We're kind of going to skim through the first three chapters of Hosea. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. We are setting some records in church today for the amount of times we can say the word whoredom in a sentence. And yes, this is one of those verses in the Bible you're like, this is here. This is in the Bible. This This is part of God's word. So this is the, the commission God gave Hosea to bring a message to the people. Go, marry a whore, have children with her. Because just like you, my bride Israel is committing spiritual adultery right now and is whoring after other lovers. This is the message of Hosea. This is an incredible thing that God calls him to do. We read in the next verse, So he went, Hosea is obedient to this call, and, go, and, and took Goma, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. So he goes to the red light district, I guess, of the day, and takes a prostitute to be his wife, and they have a son together. Things then take a horrendous turn. Things get pretty dark pretty quickly. We see in verse 6 and verse 8 that she has another two children. And we are told that this time they are not his. There is a unfaithfulness. She is unfaithful to him. You can imagine the kind of betrayal that this is taking place. They have a child together and yet not once but twice. And who knows how much in between she is unfaithful. Eventually, uh, the details are a little bit vague in the story, but eventually we can see that she goes back into the slave trade. She leaves him, and she goes back to her old way of life. The message here is God is saying, this is exactly what my people, my bride, are doing to me right now. They are committing spiritual adultery the Lord has a special role for the kids as well in this. This is a, one of those odd parts of the book. Their names are also messages to Israel. Verse 4. The Lord said to him, call his name. This is the first child, the, his legitimate child. Call his name Jezreel. For, for, uh, for in just a little while, I'll punish the house of Jehu. For the, for the blood of Jezreel. And I'll put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I'll break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So Jezreel is a scene of great slaughter in Second Kings. And so it's, it's a name that has a ring to it to the people. They would know what you're talking about. It would be a little bit like meeting a child today and finding out their name is like Auschwitz or Chernobyl or something equally just shocking inappropriate for a child to be named. It's a warning of judgment, quite clearly. It's a warning of judgment. There's judgment coming. Name your child Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. Verse 6. Again, it's not, it's, it's kind of subtext here, but not his child, a child, not his child. 
She bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, the southern kingdom, and I will save them by the, by the Lord their God. I will not save them by the bow or by sword or by war or by horsemen or by horsemen, by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. For you are not my people and I am not your God. This last name is a, it's a complete reversal of the covenant that he made with his people at, at Exodus. It is an undoing of the marriage vows, if you will. And so in these three names, God is sending a very clear message to the nation of Israel. There's a little, in, little um, cute picture of the, of the kids. Jezreel, no mercy and not my people. You can just imagine like watching this family exist. Hey, no mercy, stop hitting not my people and Jezreel, you know, judgment is coming. Can you please calm down? Like stop stop whinging. It's a crazy scene. And we see later on in the book that God renames these kids, right? Renames them uh, by his grace. But first, Israel needs to hear the message that they have come into judgment because they have abandoned him. Because they've abandoned him. So friends, this is the story of Hosea. An unfaithful wife who runs off leaving her loving husband. When it comes to reading the Bible, here's something that I've noticed that we have a tendency to do, all of us. This is, I'm not picking on you. This is me too. We have a bit of a tendency to read certain parts of the Bible with just self-righteousness. It's pure self-righteousness. For example, when we're reading the Gospels, we'll come across the disciples. When they're blind to what Jesus is trying to do, and Jesus is correcting them and rebuking them, we often kind of picture ourselves at Jesus' shoulder, being like, yeah, you go get him, Jesus. You tell him what's up. We know what you're talking about, but you need to explain it to these people because these people are a bit slow, right? Um, we get it, Jesus, but these people don't get it. And we fail to realize in the story, we're never Jesus, guys. We are always the ones he's rebuking, just, just for the record. We always are the ones who need correction. When we get to the book of Hosea, we discover this, and we discover this story and the kind of the shocking nature of this story. A big question, I think, is how on earth could God ask Hosea to do that? Isn't that a massive ask of the Lord for Hosea? How could God ever ask someone to do this? And so, can I say that is not a question you need to worry about? Because in the story, you are not Hosea. Do you understand? You're Goma in the story. You do not need to worry about Hosea. You are Goma. To use words I never thought I would say in a church, you are the woman of whoredom in the story. That's us. We are unfaithful. We are trapped in debt and in slavery. We are under the power of another, another, and we are there because of our own, our own sin, our own folly, our own fault. 
Derek Pass, he writes this. He says, we must not seek to sanitize this text. The scandal is the point. And we must let it have its full effect. The scandal is the point. So, this is God's message for us all today from the book of Hosea. The worship of other things. The worship of anything that is not him are ultimately false gods, whether it's money, power, success, approval, comfort, your work, whatever it is, it's spiritual whoring after another when you are married. Spiritual whoring. Hosea 2.13 says it this way. He's talking about that Israel here. She put on her rings and her jewelry, so she got dressed up, and she followed her lovers, but she forgot me. She forgot me. She left her husband behind and forgot the Lord, right? Forgetting our God is what sin is. We have scorned our loving husband and chased after other things. Run off with other lovers thinking that they will make us happy. This is what sin is. This is what sin is. Whenever, sin is when we say to ourselves, I'm going to live for me now. I'm going to do whatever makes me happy. I'm in charge. I call the shots. Whatever I think will satisfy, that's what I'll pursue afterwards. And little do we know, in that moment, we are selling ourselves into slavery that we cannot free ourselves from. Jesus says this in John 8. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Slave of sin. So just like Goma, we can be quite naive. We can sell ourselves into slavery in the quest for finding true fulfillment and true freedom. Little do we know we're going into slavery. Out of the five weeks that we're doing on the cross, what makes this one particularly unique for us to hear is is the image of sin we're discovering. Our sin is not against a system. Our sin is against the one who has loved us the most completely, the most deeply, the most fully. Sin is not ultimately a violation of an impersonal law, but a betrayal of your loving husband. It's not the breaking of a rule, but a breaking of his heart. Do you see this? Do you see this? Some of you, some of us, have been treating God as a concept. He's a concept out there. Not your husband. And in so doing, when you treat God as a concept and not as your husband, you can depersonalize your sin. Friends, your sin is deeply personal to God. Your sin is deeply personal to God. He needs you to know that. You're never sinning against a system, but a person. So, Let me ask you today, to what other lovers do you run to? To what other lovers do you run? 
What does God, your husband, need to compete with in your heart? What is he competing with for your affections? What are you allowing yourself to be seduced by? And today, as we think about those questions, I think it's important for you to name that to the Lord and to yourself. This is the thing that I have been running after in unfaithfulness. Name it to him. Name it to him. We get to chapter 3 of Hosea. And the Lord comes and speaks to Hosea again. Look at these amazing words with me. And the Lord said to me, Go again. Don't you love that? Go again. Hosea, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. God tells Hosea, go and get your wife. Go and get her. Love her again. Go and get your, your wife and go and woo her. Go and extend the hand of forgiveness and bring her home. Go again, get your wife. Hosea, go and love your unfaithful bride. Okay, um, thought exercise. Imagine with me, you are Hosea's little brother or little sister, depending on your gender. So for me, it's uncle. I'm Hosea's little, little brother, which makes me uncle to these three kids. Imagine watching Goma run off for what looks to be the final time seeing your big brother in need, and so you move in. To be a support to him, for sure, his wife's been a nightmare. But mainly you're there because those kids, they need some some love. You want to look after those three kiddos whose mum's disappeared again. And you have watched, being close to Hosea, you've watched firsthand the devastation, the train wreck, the absolute devastation this this lady has wrought on your husband on your brother's life you've watched these kids you figured out the two of them aren't his you love them anyway and your heart aches because of what this woman has done and if you're honest you've thought some pretty dark thoughts about her some pretty dark thoughts which are mostly deserved And then one day, Hosea sits you down, looks you in the eyes, with tears in his eyes, and says to you, I have to go get her again. I have to go get her. What'd you say? You'd say, no way, Jose, which is where that originates, I think. The whole message is building to that moment. No. No way, Hosea. Like, are you, are you actually insane? I, maybe you're not insane. Maybe you're just straight up stupid. Just blind. You just can't see the obvious truth 
she is incapable of being faithful to you. Look at her track record. She's a nightmare. Look what she's done to the children. Hosea, let her go. Just let her go. There is something better out there for you. Just try and heal. Try and move on. Leave her in the past. Don't go back there. Look what she's done. And Hosea says to you, listen, I have to go find her. I cannot stop loving her just as the Lord cannot stop loving his bride. I have to go get her. I have to. And so he goes, and he goes and he finds her probably with another man. That's what this verse says, right? She's loved by another man. He goes and finds her. She is the property of someone else. She has sold herself. She is indebted. The fact that you're the husband makes no difference whatsoever. There's still money to be paid to free her. So he buys her back out of slavery. Verse 2, so I bought her. So I bought her back for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a leketh of barley. Not a massive price. As in, she's pretty worthless in the whole situation. And yet, there was a price to ransom her. She needed to be set free from her slavery. And he paid the price. Friends, this is what Christ has done for you on the cross. This is what Christ has done for all of us. This is what First Peter 1 says. Let me take you back there. You were ransomed. Again, think, think Goma, unfaithful Goma, and loving Hosea come to get her. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, friends, God is chasing you. He is relentless. He is coming to get you. He wants to make you new again and give you another chance today. He wants to buy you out of slavery with his own blood. And because of the cross, your debt is not just cancelled, set aside. It is paid in full. There's not a cent left owing, and he bore the cost. You see, because you were ransomed, the cost to purchase you from your slavery is both free and enormously costly. It is free for you. You don't pay the price. What did Goma do to free herself from slavery? But friends, it is costly. It is costly for Jesus. Friends, the grace you have received is not cheap. The forgiveness you get to walk in today is not cheap. It's costly. It's free for you and costly for Jesus. Do not cheap, do not treat your forgiveness, the mercy you've received, as cheap. It is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the gospel, isn't it? Undeserved love. Free mercy, free grace, despite all your wandering and your stuff-ups and the train wreck you've made of your life, you might be like Goma. Jesus come to get you. He is coming to get you. You do not deserve a new start. Goma didn't. He's coming to give you one anyway. 
if you'd have it. Let me read to you from Hosea 2. This is just a beautiful picture of what we're talking about. In verse 14, this is the Lord speaking about Israel. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will woo her. He's going to go after her heart, do you see? I will allure her. I'll bring her into the wilderness and I'll speak tenderly to her. Literally what that means is I'll speak to her heart. I'll speak tenderly to her and I'll give her her vineyards and I'll make the valley of Accor a door of hope. Accor is where Achan committed a great blasphemy and was sentenced to death. So he's going to take that awful moment and turn it into a door of hope. And there she shall answer, as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. So we're going to go back to the honeymoon phase, right? I'm going to bring her back. I'm going to love her again, just like we did when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal, which means master, which is also a um, false, false god of the, of the day. I will rem- remove the names of the Baals from her mouth. And they, and, sh- and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things on the ground. I don't know if you noticed that, but that's, that's Genesis 1 language. That's, that's creation language. God's saying, you know what? We're going we're gonna to start, we're going to do new creation, right? New, cre- new Eden. We're going back to Eden. New beginning. I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from your land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And that's a good word for us this Anzac Day, isn't it? There's a day coming when that's the truth. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Friends, the message of Hosea is this. Come, and come as you are. Come dirty, come wretched, come from the red light district if you have to. But come and receive grace. Come and receive grace. There is more grace in Christ than sin in you. Isn't that good news for us all? He is willing to start all over again right now. He's willing to start all over again right now, a clean slate. This is a great word. This is great news for those of us who feel like we have train wrecked our faith or drifted or wandered off after other lovers. Today is a day where we can come back to the Lord and say, yes, please. Which one of us does not need a new start today? Which one of us does not need a clean slate and a fresh beginning? Go back to Eden once more. Today, that can be yours. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning. All right, before I finish up, I have two parts of application today for us. What do we do with this message today is the question. 
What do we do with this? Well, we love him. We got to honor him. Two parts. Firstly, we are to love him with all our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength. It's the greatest commandment. We are to love the Lord. Go, go, go with me to chapter 3, verse 3. And I said to her, so he's, he's bought her back for three shekels, 15 shekels of silver. And he said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So forsake your sin, she, he's saying. And so will I also be to you. Friends, the God of heaven has come down to get us. He's come to rescue us. And he desires not just that you would do better and try harder, but that you would receive his love and respond in love. You'd receive his love and respond in love. He desires your heart, not just your begrudging submission to him. He wants your sincerity. He wants your love. He wants your worship. Do you see those last, those last lines here? So will I also be to you. The God of heaven is willing to give you his entire heart. This is what's on offer. So will I also be to you. He's willing to give you his heart forever. You might feel dirty, wretched, and shameful, but you are loved. You are precious more than you can ever know. And today I think all of us will love the Lord to the extent that we realize we are Goma and that he has loved us so well. He is offering us everything to come get it. So today let's respond to his love gratitude, worship, ready hearts, sincerity. Let's respond to him in love today. And secondly, if this is what he's done for us, we must honor him. We must honor him with our lives. This is what Jesus says in John 15, or 14, I should say. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus draws a straight line between your love for him and your obedience to him. Do you see that? Isn't this exactly what Hosea just said as well? Forsake your other lovers. Come be mine and so will I be to you. But you must forsake your other lovers. Come be mine. You can't do both here. Sin forgiven must lead to our sin forsaken. We receive forgiveness, we must forsake our sin. And so today, if we love him, yeah, we've got to follow him. We've got to honor him. We've got to love his commandments. So where in your life, can I ask, where in your life have you been ignoring the call of God in your life? Where have you been going your own way? Where have you been not following his commandments? Does the love of God lead you to sing and to serve and to give to share his love with anyone that will listen? Is your life built on his greatest commandment to love others? Is your life built on what he has called you for? Friends, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this, You are not your own. You are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Glorify the Lord. You're not your own anymore. 
if we understand that we are Goma and that our sin is whoring after other lovers and the Lord has come to buy us back, isn't it time? We respond to him in love and in honor. So, I'm going to get Peter back up so I finish. The story of Hosea reminds us of our unfaithfulness, which is hard to hear, but it points us to our Savior, doesn't it? It reminds us of his great faithfulness and his great love. And today, yes, we are Goma. And you know what? That's not such bad news because it means that he's coming to get us at our very worst. Right now, that might be you. You might be feeling I'm at my very worst and everything's falling apart and I am a train wreck. It's exactly at this point which the Lord needs you to know that you are loved and he's coming to get you. Pray today you'd respond to him in faith. Let's pray. Lord, we like to think of ourselves as free apart from you. But little do we know we are. When we turn our back on you, Lord, we enter into a kind of slavery that binds us that we don't even know is there sometimes. Other times it's all too obvious that we're in slavery, Lord, because we feel bound by our sin. And feel trapped and hopeless. But Lord, whether we are in, our, in slavery without knowing it or knowing it all, all too well, Lord, today we are so thankful that just like Hosea, you came to get us. You came to buy us back after we had turned from you. You came to woo us with your love. Lord, you called us by your spirit, took us by the hand and led us out of our slavery, shared us a new life with you, a new beginning, a new, a new, new start, clean slate. And yet, Lord, we, we need that moment every day. So I, today I pray for those of us who feel stuck and bound and in need of that new start, Lord, would you show them that your mercies are new every morning. There's more grace in you than there is sin in them. We can receive forgiveness. But that sin forgiven must mean sin forsaken. Would you help them turn from their other lovers? Receive, receive from your hand grace upon grace upon grace. Lord, would you help us love you more? For those of us who feel like our love for you is faint and weak and overpowered by other loves, Lord, would you help us today? Would you move in our hearts, Lord? Would you inflame our affections for you? Would we warm ourselves at the fire of, of the bon at the great bonfire of your love we see at the cross? Lord, we thank you for your love. 
We want to honor you with our lives. Would you help us to do that? Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.